We were actually the featured brand in the number one top 10 food trends for 2021 from Whole Foods because it's, it's the trend of wellness served. You know, as America looks to achieve nutrition through what we're putting in our bodies and what we're eating, we're also looking for great, you know, delicious flavors and, and functional worldly flavors, but also add that additional benefit of, of probiotic fermentation and function. So definitely really cool to be capturing on this groundswell. And I think, you know, not only the benefits that are, that are shown through health, but also through sheer flavor. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I'm your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today's guest is Mac Anderson, and we are talking fermentation. So Mac is a co-founder and chief marketing officer of Cleveland Kitchen, formerly known as Cleveland Kraut, where they are on a mission to create world-class culinary fermented foods for everyone. Mac is a Cleveland native with a passion for business, for good food, and for good people. And after studying economics at Miami University, Mac started a career in finance and law before ultimately pursuing his longtime passion for business to help start Cleveland Kraut with his brother and brother-in-law. As the chief marketing officer, Mac has grown Cleveland Kraut sales from a side hustle at a farmer's market to the number one brand in sauerkraut nationwide and leader in the fresh fermented space with distribution in over 9,000 locations. This conversation left me really hungry for food, but quenched with knowledge. <laughs> uh, so please enjoy our conversation. So in the spirit of transparency, and so that everyone tuning in can really appreciate your graciousness as a guest, this is actually our second recording on account of some technical difficulties that we had and I got to say, I am even more excited to have you back. So thank you for coming on to share your story, Mac. No, of course. Happy to be here again. Luckily, the story <laughs> hasn't changed since we last spoken. So uh, yeah, should be all set there. All right. Well, let's let's tell the story. Um, I'd love to start if you could just kind of paint a picture here of the inception of, of Cleveland Kraut and how your personal upbringing has kind of laid the groundwork for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's always uh, an interesting question. People are wondering how, you know, three young guys in Cleveland got into selling aged cabbage around the country. But our story, you know, it starts way back in the early 90s. My mother studied biology and also is a chef. She studied at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris. And so she always had a great focus on ingredients you know, what she was putting in her family's body, what she's putting in her own body. And, you know, that definitely translated to her dragging myself, my older brother and CEO Drew, and then obviously our older sister before that, but uh, out to, you know, the great local farms here in Northeast Ohio, out to Amish country, you know, kicking and screaming every weekend to pick fresh produce, to get great fresh produce uh, or livestock and, and meats. And uh, she started to realize, you know, well before Cleveland had anything like a Whole Foods or even a, a Wild Oats back then, that there was definitely a market for, you know, natural foods, for fresh farm raised produce, for, you know, free range pigs, chickens, grass fed beef. And so she actually started the North Union Farmers Market. Uh, it's a nonprofit here in Cleveland, Ohio. So she founded it in 95. So Child labor laws aside, I was out there schlepping <laughs> produce and, and working with farmers, you know, alongside my my siblings, my brother and my sister. And it was always our, you know, summer and weekend job all the way up through 
college was just our built-in job that we would be managing markets, working at markets. And we really got a feel for not only, you know, what great Ohio farmers were, who these families were, the attention that they put into their to their farms, to, to everything that they're producing, to the yields, to the harvest, but also really started to see the farm to table movement growing with the burgeoning food scene that was kind of emerging here in Cleveland, as well as, uh, you know, seeing some of these younger makers start to emerge and, and, and food producers. And, and we definitely took note of what made a great food product, you know, how it was packaged, how these brands were starting to engage with consumers. And then obviously as social media started to emerge, how different brands were leveraging that to extend the brand out beyond just the farmer's market. And so we really paid attention to those brands, especially that made it on grocery store shelves. This definitely stuck with us seeing these brands end up on grocery store shelves. And my brother actually graduated college with a degree in business statistics and headed to SunTrust in Richmond, Virginia on their mortgage analytics team. And he was, you know, greatly missing kind of that Cleveland fair. It's not necessarily my heritage or my brother's heritage, but that Eastern European, that very Cleveland and, and definitely Midwestern fair of, you know, pierogi, kielbasa, all those good things. And so, you know, he, he was making all those things in his apartment. He was getting back to his roots, going to his farmer's market uh, in Richmond every Saturday, buying fresh produce, you know, chopping it up and really fell in love with the art of fermentation. You know, fast forward, he comes back here to Cleveland to work for Key Bank, and he's having a beer with my sister's uh, fiance at the time, Luke Visnick, our COO and co-founder. And Luke was an architect at the time, another young professional, but they kind of figured out over beers that they were both, you know, making sauerkraut. So, bit of a strange, <laughs> bit of a strange hobby to to figure out that your future brother-in-law also shares and. So they're kind of having uh, a few beers crunching and munching on on each of their kind of first recipes and and kind of realizing, doing some quick market analysis that it's not in grocery store shelves. You know, we'd seen, obviously, the rise of brands, and then we'd kind of seen from a, a larger business and capital perspective that, you know, there's definitely investment coming into these smaller emerging foods, that natural foods are definitely on fire, that Whole Foods is growing at a clip. And, you know, all these these great brands and products are starting to really gain shelf space, not only in your local natural food store, but also in you know nationwide grocers. So they, you know, they actually taught me how to while I was at Miami of Ohio. My housemates, my buddies were wondering what the heck was going on in our kitchen, what was bubbling away. Um, <laughs> I'm sure but, they were. Um, yeah. You know, they thought I was a pretty, pretty normal kid right up until I started uh, chopping up cabbage and aging it in our cupboards. But um you know, come barbecue season, it was everybody enjoyed the fresh flavor, the crunch. It was definitely elevating our our diet that was rather you know heavily influenced with light beer as as most most college kids were. But you know, we kind of knew that we had a, a great tasting pro, uh, product, and you know, the younger generation was definitely open to trying it. And so I moved back and and got a job in finance here locally. And we would all, you know, Luke would leave the architecture firm and, and Drew would leave key, pick me up at, uh, I was at Jones day at the time and we'd go to the commercial kitchen and, uh, you know, work till two in the morning, four nights a week, and then, you know, sell, sell on the weekends. And, you know, what really kept us going during those kind of those weeks of, or actually the year <laughs> and a half of very little sleep and a lot of hustle was the fact that consumers kept coming back week after week for not only more of their favorite flavor, but they were also seeking our new flavors and they kept, you know, farmer's market's a great place because it's one of the only places, especially as a 
a food or beverage you know maker that you can actually get direct consumer feedback and they're going to pay you for it. So right, right. it's kind of invaluable for those you know, <laughs> fledgling bootstrap startups to be able to get that kind of feedback. And, and we started to see the usage occasions, you know, beyond just hot dogs, Rubens and, and sausage really grow out and, and actually turn into on, on salads, eggs in the morning, avocado toast, fish tacos. Of course, there's nothing better than been a uh, little bratwurst with narnar or roasted garlic, but those traditional <laughs> usage occasions were truly, truly, you know, emerging well beyond that. And then, you know, the likes of Iron Chef Mike Simon, he'd send his shoe chef down to get to get some for his menu pairings. And uh, so kind of at the end of 2015, we kind of all quit our jobs, poured everything we had into it and launched into Heinen's was our first retailer back then. And today we are in almost 10,000 stores nationwide. We are the number one brand in premium refrigerated sauerkraut, and we've expanded our product lines into um, you know, naturally fermented dressings and now kimchi as well. So, you know, really excited that those are uh, both products are almost in 2000 stores each. So really seeing a lot of growth here. But, yeah, it's been a fun ride. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. That's an incredible footprint. And I, I definitely want to dive a little deeper into the to the business and, and what you guys are working on. But. I, I do want to take a quick step back and and take a look at this from maybe a more macro level. So beyond those with you know Eastern European roots who are getting into fermentation to explore their own cultural and familial history, there does appear, like you mentioned, to be this like mass proliferation of and like societal drift towards fermentation across like all different kinds of foods. I'd like to get your perspective on like what is going on here. Why? Why are people rediscovering and loving fermentation now? I'm just that good at marketing, Jeffrey. It's just <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's across cultures. It's an ancient way to preserve the harvest. So anyone who is growing vegetables, you know, after after you traded or or bartered everything away, you take what you had left during the winter and you know you put it in a crock or a drum or bury it, and your family would kind of you you get it would. It would preserve well before refrigeration was around and and you get these great you know nutritional benefits and also extended to beverages like tea and kombucha which is obviously an ancient asian tea and folks just it's been an ancient remedy it's been an ancient way to preserve and add flavor and i think here in america we're just definitely returning uh, as a society to more you know focused whole food diets to you know really really thinking about what we're putting in our body and and seeking out foods that are naturally functional and beneficial to our overall health and you know we're definitely capturing in on that ground as well so you know from things like kimchi to kombucha to you know everything like yogurt and all that good stuff it's it's really cool to see everything start to emerge and and, and come back and we're just kind of following you look at Southeast Asia, it's eaten every day from all, all kinds of dishes. And, uh, you know, obviously Europe, Germany, Belgium, they eat it all the time. So it's been, uh, it's been fantastic to really see that start to come back. And, you know, we were actually the, the, no, the featured brand and the number one top 10 food trends for 2021 from Whole Foods because it's, it's the, you know, the trend of wellness served, you know, as America looks to, to really achieve nutrition through what we're putting in our bodies and what we're eating. We're also looking for great, you know, delicious flavors and, and functional worldly flavors, but also add that additional benefit of, of probiotic fermentation and function. So 
definitely really cool to be capturing on this ground swell. And I think, uh, you know, not only the benefits that are, that are shown through health, but also, you know, through sheer flavor and people just don't fully understand everything that probably is fermented. Obviously yogurt's one of those things that early led the charge, but even something like Frank's red hot is a fermented hot sauce. So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely there for flavor purposes as well. Yeah. You can have your crowd and eat it too. That's right. Hey, hey I might, uh, might have to trademark that. <laughs> you got the oh, best no, of all worlds. Give you full um, credit there. <laughs> now I, I want to build on that a little bit and maybe just at a, at a high level speak to you know, from the probiotic perspective, you know, separate a little bit of the fact from fiction. What, why is this good for us? What, what is, what's going on there? Cabbage itself, just as a vegetable, as a raw vegetable, naturally has a ton of lactobacillus. So this is very healthy, naturally occurring bacteria. And the process of fermentation, natural lacto-fermentation that we put it through, basically just allows those pr- to proliferate in a naturally oxygen-depleted environment. So we essentially break down the cell walls, add salt, and then whatever veggies we're going to do or spices and the salt helps pull out the water from the cell structure. And then in an anaerobic environment, we seal it, we block it off from oxygen, but CO2 can escape because that is a byproduct of fermentation. These naturally occurring, very beneficial bacteria do proliferate. So there's, you know, a few billion in every pouch and it is a really fantastic way to, you know, supercharge and balance your gut flora, get those naturally occurring, great beneficial bacteria down there. They also really help, there's enzymes in there that really help pull nutrients from your food. And also the nutrients that are in your food are able to you know, really be maximized within your digestive process. So you're not only getting a healthier gut, you're getting more from every good food that you're eating. And then good gut health does you know, lend itself more and more studies year after year, keep coming back about overall mental health, overall body health. So it's definitely... Um, at the core, no pun intended, of a, of a good foundational health system. Got it. Thank you for explaining that. So, you know, you mentioned kind of the, the footprint that, that you have today, you know, beyond the original, you know, perhaps vision, you know, plan to take over the world with sauerkraut, with the rebranding of the business from Cleveland Kraut to Cleveland Kitchen. I'd love to get your perspective there on, on the broader vision that comes with that you mentioned different product offerings that you're expanding into, but when you think about the vision and impact that you hope to have with Cleveland Kitchen, opposed to Cleveland Kraut historically, you know, what, what, are, what are you guys thinking through on that front? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously we did kind of plan the business out to be a, a nationwide brand, but when, when you started a farmer's market as a, as a local vendor, you calling ourselves Cleveland Kraut is definitely limiting. So we wanted to ensure that we built a foundation on, you know, Kraut as a, as a core product line and, and really start to saturate the market and, and start to take category leadership. But we've always had vision to expand outside of Kraut and, you know, really build a platform of delicious food that is fermented and pickled and, you know, provides great value, not only is you know one of these things that you're kind of hooked on you're you're loving it on so many dishes throughout your daily diet but does have that halo of health so transitioning into cleveland kitchen you know not only does it allow us to keep you know making our city proud but 
gives us that opportunity to build a platform brand and to really build ourselves into the nationwide um, kind of household name. Uh, we had a lot of learnings. We were sitting in the, um, we were in the Kraft Heinz incubator. So their first, first class in 2018, uh, I think, you know, 500, 600, you know, teams, businesses applied. Uh, we were one out of five that actually made it into the incubator. Uh, and we did very well in our class. We were definitely able to leverage a ton of, of great benefits from, you know, such a large food CPG from data that otherwise would have been unavailable to a small brand like us to developing, you know, we were already pretty, pretty good at sales and, and had a great product. We didn't do anything to the product, but really developing the understanding of, of calling on the likes of, of Kroger and Walmart. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to schlep together great plans and, and be really good at it, but continuing to hone with some of the best in the world in terms of CPG salesmen. And then also, you know, looking at data and trends and, and sitting with Michelle St. Jacques, who was head of brand at Kraft Heinz at the time. She's now the CMO at Miller Coors. And she was very helpful in, in sitting with us, you know, among the other leadership as well. But, you know, kind of helping us to understand where we could stretch in terms of products into really building ourselves into, you know, a $200 million a year platform brand and, and building something, um, you know, that Cleveland can, can really be proud of. We've got 40 employees here in downtown Cleveland and, you know, we, we hope to continue to grow and to continue to, to build ourselves up as a great employer and uh, a beacon that Cleveland can be proud of. So, yeah, I think it, it just allows for us to get into more exciting platform categories into larger categories sauerkraut although it's had you know since we've started probably close to over a thousand percent growth it is now you know it's still a smaller category so expanding into dressings for instance you know allows us to get into more people's carts into more people's hearts you know we're in we're in a more traditional usage occasion if, and if folks are a little trepidatious to try fermented cabbage you know starting with a dressing that just has this health tweak and helps them understand that fermentation means flavor and function is something that's great to us and then getting into products like kimchi which obviously is a great traditional you know fermented dish that's that's been around for thousands and thousands of years and you know the velocities and the usage occasions there are fantastic and it's, it's just very exciting for us to to expand here yeah, I, I want to build a little bit on the the Cleveland specific part of the brand. And what have you found to to be the implications of, of tying the brand to Cleveland and the reception, feedback, pushback, you know, a- anything that that people are are letting you know about the Cleveland branding, especially as you've built this this national footprint? It was definitely obviously it helped us get off to a, a running hot start here in Cleveland locally. <laughs> And it proved to be a little bit of a challenge in, in scaling beyond this market. But, you know, luckily we jumped into the New York City market pretty early on. So I could and we're doing very well. So I could really use that as a test case. And then we started to get data back that Cleveland has this fantastic, you know, there's a feel to it. It gives, it gives a meaning to the brand. There's a, uh, there's a blue collar, hardworking, tenacious, just feeling to the, to the Cleveland and the work ethic here. And we're, we're an unassuming but great city, and I think that has definitely lent itself. But there were challenges. You know, a good friend and great supporter of everything local and a great partner of ours, Paul Abbott from Giant Eagle, we were crushing it in his Ohio stores and market district and even in Indiana. And he's like, Mac, you know, you guys are doing really well. I'm a little hesitant to put you in the Pittsburgh stores. 
but you know, I can't plan a Grammy, which means like draw you into the sets, but I'll give you approval and you can go sell them one by one. You know, I was like, all right, enough. So after <laughs> give me the shot. And, uh, you know, after a month we had, we'd sold ourselves in every store. We were off and cranking. I saw him a couple months later at a food show and he just came up and shook my hand. He's like, I'm so sorry. I ever doubted you, you guys are crushing. It. Um, <laughs> and may- maybe that was the fact that to that point, Cleveland hadn't beat Pittsburgh in any kind of sport in, in quite some time. So I don't know if they had the same, uh, same animosity back then, but, uh, no, it's, it's, it's given, you know, a name, a meaning, a purpose to the brand. It, it makes it feel like it's a local brand. It gives it this trustworthiness and, and, uh, you know, we've seen it really, really play itself out very well nationwide and it's a pride point for us and hopefully a pride point for the city. Yeah. It's, it's authentic. That's right. You've mentioned, you know, some of the learnings that, that you've had going from farmer's market to, to where you are today. I just want to get your perspective, you know, as a really a first time founder and kind of having stumbled into this out of love of, of fermentation and the product and, and what you're making from a business perspective, when you look back and what are some of the things that have surprised you about building this company and brand as a first time founder? You know, six almost seven years now feels like uh feels some some days like uh, it's only been less than a year some days like a, a lifetime so we've definitely had a ton of learnings obviously there's always a ton of surprises in the startup journey but i think the main thing that stuck out is you know how every big win and every major milestone that you set up for yourself and i think setting goals is definitely important in building out a yearly plan into a three and five year plan is, is really key, but you know, you'll hit some of these goals. Maybe it's getting whole foods nationwide or, or launching with Walmart and next stores. And then it's, you'd think like, Oh, that's, that's going to be the moment. I mean, the first, <laughs> the first time it came when we, we launched in a high end, it was like, Oh man, we we've done, we for it high ends. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, we made it. And then we're like seeing like the volume and it's like, Oh, sauerkraut's not, People aren't buying three sauerkrauts a day in each household, so we gotta go. We we're just getting started, and then, yeah, it's it's always like, okay, how quickly we transition? Okay, what's next? You know, how can we continue to build on this? You know, getting on the store shelves is definitely not the hardest part. It's making sure that it's definitely a big part of it. But as you grow and, and get these, it's making sure that you're supporting it, building the category, driving sales and all the challenges that come with it. You know, for us, it's been really key to be extremely data-driven. You know, we get that from a foundation of, of finance and, you know, really understanding what our key performance indicators are, making sure all of our partners do, making sure our team fully is, you know, understanding of what our goals are, having great transparency from the top down, you know, being able to lead a team and being humble when you have outside advisors and, and, you know, we've, we've been great about, you know, not knowing what we don't know. I think there's always benefit to coming in as a potential disruptor or bringing new life to a sleepy category, you know, not acting the same way a traditional CPG would, but also that there's a ton of learning that we can do from our advisors and from, you know, our guy, Terry, who brings 40 years of, uh, unbelievable experience and, and really helps me be a better leader and a better leverager of our sales team. So being open to, to growth and to outside input and to, you know, being able to move quickly and deal with, you know, rapid fire changes is definitely, definitely been a, a key learning and something that, you know, all of a sudden you're in the middle of the firestorm and you never thought you'd be there. You never thought you'd get to this point and 
you're looking back at all these store counts and I thought, oh man, I didn't even know this was this many stores in America. Like what? <laughs> so um, yeah, how, how quickly it goes is definitely, it's, it's hard to believe it's been almost seven years. Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible journey and uh, I'm sure a lot more to go. Just getting started. Just getting started. <laughs> in terms of just getting started, how do you go about capitalizing this kind of business? You, you, you get this early success at, at, at the farmer's market. You know, people are, it's resonating that, you know, that you're getting that feedback. How do you take it from the, that point of inception to, to funding this business? Yeah, absolutely. So I think being able to have Drew, our brother, come from a financial planning background of, of you know, setting up quarterly all the way to five-year projections with KeyBank he definitely was able to, you know, early on throw together capital needs and expectations. And well before we started, you know, really going out and, and starting to fundraise, having that in place and, and having a full understanding of if we were to jump into retail, if we were to start, we leveraged Luke, who's a great art, architect to build out our facility. You know, what do we what do we actually need? And I think we were prior to us launching in Heinen's, we were at a Brown's tailgate giving out you know, little in our, still in our deli style containers. And uh, we'd, we'd go up to anyone grilling and drop off. Hey, we're Cleveland crowd. Give it a try on your hot dogs and brats. And, you know, one of my, my best friends, he was tailgating there with his dad, who was uh, Dr. Julian Kim. He was the um, chief medical officer in oncology, head of surgery at at UH. So obviously knows this stuff on the science side, but he's also (laughs) of Korean descent and his wife is of German descent. So our Narnar was like the perfect marriage for their marriage. And they were, huge fans and, um, you know, Drew and, and Doc Kim got to talking and, you know, we were, I wouldn't say we were three sheets to the wind, but there was wind and there were sheets and uh, we were drinking and talking about the business and where we wanted to go. And I think, you know, Dr. Kim just turned to, to my brother and said, Hey, you know what, what do you need? And my brother spit out some small number and we kind of thought, Oh, this is just banter at a, a Browns game. It was fun. It was great to walk through the business and, you know, the next day, my my, buddy, my good friend Justin texted me. He's like, "Hey, my dad needs your guys' email." Um, I guess you're talking <laughs> about investment, and so that was that was one of them. You know, we were lucky enough to get Luke's mother in. She want, really wanted to support, and then you know, just friends and family early on that allowed us to grow to a certain stage. And then, you know, we went out and raised our first convertible debt note. And you know, from you make a ton of contacts at these food shows. You know, there's obviously a lot of excitement around emerging brands and, you know, just building up the network that way and being smart about who you take money from, because, you know, it's it's easy to to say this when you've already fundraised and all these things, but you're you're really not just raising capital. You know, if, if you've got a great product, your idea is good. You got to there's, there's always going to be dry powder out there. There's always going to be folks who are looking to invest in great businesses and great founders. So so finding anything that can provide value beyond that. And we've been really lucky to get folks in that have either a ton of you know CPG experience or built their own food manufacturing companies that were able to really help us in all facets of you know our own operation. And then you know folks like Turn Capital who came in in our latest equity round here locally that are able to tie us into to local resources and to be able to continue to bring, you know, more capital and wealth into this city uh, has been great. So really being selective on those who, you know, you want to partner with for the next ideally decades, however long it's going to be uh, and understanding what their goals for the company are, are definitely key. 
and then seeing how you can leverage that network. And so we've been very lucky with our group of fantastic investors and they've, they've, you know, lended a tremendous amount of expertise on top of their capital. So I'd say, you know, if you are a founder or someone who's looking to raise capital, be rather picky. I mean, there's sometimes a call for, you know, Hey, let's just get the check in. But uh, if you can be leverage it to, to make sure that you're getting some other provision of value. Yeah. It reminds me of this quote. I do not remember who said it, but it's uh, I think a good segue to what I, I want to ask you about next, but it goes something like, if you can't see yourself working with someone for life, don't work with them for a day. Yeah. In the spirit of that and working with people for life, you know, it, it personally, it's always been kind of a, a dream of mine to go into business with my brothers and I'd love to just get your perspective on how that dynamic of working with your family and building this company really as, as a family has, has gone. Yeah. Well, luckily uh, I have to spend the rest of my life with these guys. So it's kind of already <laughs> built in. No. Yeah. It's definitely, I, I think any founder you're, you're going to go through something with this person that is apart from your, your life partner, your, your husband and wife is probably, you're never going to have this amount of time, this amount of stress with with another human being so you know the fact my brother's always been a great role model to me and you know who i looked up to growing up and we we'd always kind of planned to go into business together you know with luke coming on board and he had an extremely complimentary set of skills to us obviously i'm i'm very well i'm good i'm good at sales and i, I knew i had that edge and, and was great at marketing studied studied these things true had his his finance and it was already my built-in leader so ceo made made great sense and and shouldering the burden of, of cfo early on as well um and then luke you know with his being an architect you know processes and and ensuring things are you know going according to plan and and you know straight lines and organization all those things as you're a food manufacturer lend very well and for us to be able to really set clear kind of boundaries for what our responsibilities were and then just to go and attack them really helped. I mean, I won't say there's never been obviously any founder. If you, if you go through an entire founder's journey and you're not having arguments, I, I'd wonder if you're human, but you know, there are going to be disagreements and we've always kind of said, Hey, you know, let's have a, a voracious internal debate, fierce internal debate and one outside voice. And luckily enough, growing up with my brother, we got enough tussles. I'm sure you, you, you growing up with a brother, you're, you always will that, you know, I could be screaming or we could tackle each other in the next, the next 10 minutes. We're like, oh, you want to go grab us? So we're laughing at something. So I think Luke had to get, we're definitely a little bit wild. We like to just go do it and figure it out along the way. And, you know, having him there to also lend his organizational you know, abilities to, to help us build that thing as we're, you know, build the plane as we're falling off the cliff, as it were worked out great. And then, you know, every, every win is, is sweeter when you think about, Hey, we're building this for our family. We're building this for, for Cleveland. We're building this for, for our team, our investors, our employees, all of our stakeholders. But you know, when it's family, you're, you're going into battle with, with those you want to trust. And, you know, that's the other thing is work. I think as a, as a founder work never really stops, yeah. but you know, any family function gathering holidays, we're talking about it and, and uh, talking shop. Exactly. And that's, that's just, it's been great for us. And I think it will continue to be for, for as long as Cleveland kitchen is producing great food. Yeah. Yeah. What's the family throwing down from Cleveland kitchen at, at uh, family eatings? What are, what are the favorites? Yeah. So you, you might not be able to tell from looking at me, but my grandmother is Burmese and that's where we got, you know, the Narnar, the curry kraut and, um, 
you know, definitely the influence of, of kimchi. She's, she immigrated to Detroit in the, in the fifties. So as a, as a, you know, in the fifties, as a, as a Burmese immigrant with my, my grandfather, she, uh, any kind of Southeast Asian community, you know, whether it was Thai, Korean, Chinese, everything, you know, it was all like, Hey, let's gather, let's share cuisine. So we, my favorite food is, is curry. We, we always will, we'll get my mom to, to make a fresh, um, pork or beef curry, uh, sometimes lamb, if she's feeling up to it, but yeah, we're, we're, we love to cook both Luke and Drew kind of battle on wood fire pizzas. I'm great on stir fry. I actually make a great Dan Dan noodle. Um, whenever, whenever my girl and my, and myself are hosting goes great with Narnar or kimchi. Yeah. I was going to ask about the pairings. Yeah, absolutely. So we grew up, uh, you know, my mom had a ton of Korean friends growing up. So we, we had kimchi in our fridge almost probably more, more frequently than, uh, sauerkraut. And so it's always been, uh, definitely something that we work into dishes and, and our nard are always definitely inspired by that a bit, but I, I throw the, uh, with pizza, I mean, you can top a pizza with a little roasted garlic, a little nard or something after the bake, like you would like a pepperoncini, just to add a little freshness, a little crunch. You get a probiotic benefit there, but we also love to smoke meats and obviously the heaviness of the meat and something, you know, acidic and tart like a sauerkraut cuts it very well with curry or a stir fry that I make or the Dan Dan, obviously curry kraut or our, our narnar go very, very well. They've got... You know, those those flavor profiles, the Narnar has sriracha, leeks, garlic, roasted red pepper flakes. So it definitely leans on the side of the kimchi and curry kraut with turmeric and ginger and curry you know, powder and mustard seed definitely has that aromatic flavor and a nice warm heat. I'd say we uh, we definitely lean that way. My mother, obviously, is just a, a great chef. So any anytime we can get over there, we try and, and do a, a good family gathering, you know, every every Sunday. And we're still lucky to, you know, it's shaped us as a culinary brand and a culinary family. So I haven't had dinner yet. My mouth's starting to water. Got <laughs> I know. Got me very hungry over here. I know. I know. On the, on the topic, though, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about, you know, the Cleveland dining scene and... Just your, I just want your perspective here. I don't, there's no direction. Just your, your take. Absolutely. So again, my, my very first food was, was dim sum down at Liwa. Uh, that was my first solid food when I was a kid. So we've, we've had an affinity for, for Asiatown, actually one of our very first family frequent restaurants that we were lucky enough to partner with on our kimchi is Korea house. So if you haven't been just really phenomenal Korean barbecue, um, super traditional, their kimbap, their bagogi, Jap chai, noodles are phenomenal. Obviously, a kimchi pancake you can't beat, but we were able to work with their chefs there. Again, a great point of Cleveland pride and, and really do a, a really cool, authentic, traditional recipe that would make, you know, Korea and Cleveland proud. So got to gotta shout out my friends at Korea House. Uh, you can't go go wrong, really, in Asiatown. You know, Szechuan Gourmet, if you like a spicy, traditional Szechuan food, is phenomenal. Map of Thailand, if you're on the east side, Peppermint's probably my favorite Thai spot. You know, we've got some great partners. Obviously, would be remiss if I didn't mention Mike Simon's Mabel's. Great, great barbecue. His burger joint B-spot, big supporters mm-hmm. of ours. They have Narnar on the pickle bar, and then at Mabel's, they have Narnar on every tray. You know, we got my friend down here, again, on the east side, Lockstock and and brisket, some of the most traditional, delicious, you know, brisket sandwiches. He also has one of the best chicken sandwiches in the city. I think 
the only only spot that might come close or might be in contention is our good friend Larder. Uh, so Jeremy Amansky, who's also an excellent fermentationist and loves Koji. That deli down in Ohio City, everything there is fantastic. And skip over for a great sandwich at Urban Twine. The homies at Black Pig or Ubuntu, which is he's just transitioned it to a uh, to kind of a Japanese bar, like small plate style. Um, mm. you know, sasa here for, for sushi here on the east side. There's a lot of great. I love flour. If you're going far east for Italian, Dante, great guy. I mean, we that's the thing about Cleveland. We've got so many great, great food, amazing chefs. Obviously, you can't go wrong with a traditional. I know you're from New York, so Cat's Deli, but we got Slimans here. <laughs> Uh, Slimans is fantastic. Slimans is phenomenal. So uh goes great with crap. Can't beat it. But yeah, we're a good food city. It's uh if you if you're into food tourism, gotta come to Cleveland. Absolutely. Now I'm really hungry. <laughs> I know, I'm re- I, I'm ready for it. And on that we can uh we can wrap this up here. The the closing question that, that we have for, for everyone coming on is their favorite hidden gem in Cleveland. I feel like you just unearthed like many, many just on the culinary side, but yeah, yeah what <laughs> Hidden gems. Hidden gems. I mean, everything for me, I, I probably am going to go back to just Korea House because if once things get back to normal, doing a fan, I mean, not only are they great friends and partners, but just doing a, doing a friends or family, just Korean barbecue dinner. You can throw it out on the grill, doing some kampai shots of soju, you know, great Korean beer there. I think you know, maybe there's a lot of a lot of Cleveland that hasn't discovered it yet. And you can get it if you're not, you know, until until we get to those days, it is available on DoorDash. But yeah, I think just really leveraging and exploring Asia Town, especially um, Korea House, obviously a big favorite. Liwa and the whole Asia Town Center. I mean, that was one of the great things throughout the pandemic when Whole, whole Foods, Heinen's, Giant Eagle had runs on rice and there's nothing. You can go down to the parking shop and we were all taken care of. So that was uh yeah, yeah, I feel like if you haven't explored to 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 a full extent the Asia town and everything it has to offer, I I definitely recommend it. But I just thought there's a really good Italian spot. Oh, La Campagna! It's like in a, a strip mall, and which is like if it's come highly recommended, it's in a strip mall. You know, it's good. That's like pretty much every good restaurant in LA. It's like some <laughs> in a strip mall. But it's like I think it's over near Parma. It's on the west side for sure. But La Campagna for some great traditional, very small. Really cool family-owned uh, Italian restaurant, but I'd say for anyone who comes to Cleveland or lives in Cleveland, and you haven't explored Asia Town, get over there. No, I'll second it. I'll second it. Well, Mac, I, I really again appreciate you coming on and sharing the, your story, and I'm gonna go eat some food right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm starving. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. This is uh, it's always a blast. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So shoot us an email at layoftheland@upside.fm, or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please email us or find us on Twitter and let us know. And if you love our show, please leave a review on iTunes. That goes a long way in helping us spread the word and continue to help bring high quality guests to the show. Taken Horton and Jeffrey Stern developed the Lay of the Land podcast in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Founders Get Funds and its affiliates or actual and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. 
This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation, nor provided any investment advice on this show. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.